Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry Lynn. And before we get into today's show, I want to thank everyone for downloading our first two episodes on iTunes. We only have two, but there's been over 300 downloads so far. I just want to say thank you so much for supporting the show. Please do leave us an iTunes review or drop me an email at terry at buildmyonlinestore.com. So today's episode, we're going to talk about manufacturing in China. I got the inspiration for this episode from the Lifestyle Business Podcast, which I highly recommend everyone subscribe to. And so in episode 85, Dan and Ian talk about getting products made in China and with the brief overview. So what I want to do was take that a little deeper and to give some color on what actually happens on the ground and the process that you go through, whether you source products, uh, visit factories, or protect your IP. And today I'm joined by my special guest, Michael Michelini at Shadstone Consulting. What's up, Michael? Hey, man. I'm good, Terry. How are you? Not bad. Uh, so why don't you give us a quick story about how you got into the whole sourcing business in China? Sure. I mean, it started from uh, I was selling online in 04, mostly on eBay and my own web store. And I was studying drop shipping and I was studying uh, niche products to sell. And, you know, I started working up the supply chain. And I think all, all roads lead to China. So I was buying from China and not as successful as I wanted and a lot of my other friends were also having problems buying so I set up a, a, another consulting business to help people buy from China in 07. And so what were the products you first started selling? Yeah, so it's a funny one, but bartending supplies, like cocktail shakers and bottle openers and pour spouts. So for a product like that to be manufactured in China versus the U.S., like how much margin difference is actually there? You know, I don't think there's many being manufactured in the U.S. Even when I was selling it, I was buying from wholesalers and distributors rather than direct from factories. So I was just trying to get more direct pricing so it's about half i guess normally in uh, in a low turnover business like bar products the margins are wider because the volumes are lower if you're doing electronics you make less less margin but higher volume whereas like home and bar it's usually higher margin but lower turnover should everyone be sourcing from china i mean obviously some products make more sense to be made in the u.s or around the area actually you know um past few years with the economic and financial situation the pressure on the the dollar is of course appreciating the ribbon b so that's putting a huge stress on pricing from china direct also inflation is hyper in china yeah since i've been here in 07 you know food costs have gone up rent labor between the dollar going down and uh inflation and labor rates going up every time you reorder from china the prices seem to be quoted higher and higher to reflect that so a lot of people i know are still starting to do products from the U.S. Also, the advantages are not just price, but the, t- the time from order to delivery. You can do more of a just-in-time inventory. One of the hardest things is taking stock. You know, you have to finance it. You have to prepay the factory before you release the order. And you're financing your inventory. You're waiting like three or four months to get delivery. And it's a rising cost 
in China compared to the US. All right, so if we start from the beginning, say I want to make like a fan in China, like how would I actually start making it there? So there's there's two different strategies. One is if it's a brand new style. So is this something that's not on the market yet? You have some modification or some kind of, is a new fan for you or is it an existing fan? Okay, so let's say it's an existing fan, but it's double-sided. You normally you would go to a fan factory. You, a lot of people source online, you know, there's B2B directories. Everyone knows about Alibaba. There's global sources. You probably would want to search there first, find some factories. Again, you got to be a little bit concerned about your IP. Depending on how concerned you are, you should take that in consideration. So there's no real straight answer. It depends how quickly you send out the sample. For them to price it, the best way is to make a prototype to send it to them. Or you could order a sample from them and modify the sample and send it back. If it's a new design, you might need to make a CAD drawing. Again, that's kind of why I went to China directly because I was doing that over the internet while I was in the U.S. before I came. I was sending like screenshots and writing notes and going back and forth. But then you also got to be careful not to send your idea out to everybody. So the other choice is to maybe work with a, a trading company or a, a Western managed sourcing or product development firm. Of course, you're going to pay more, but they should usually be more aware of how to protect your idea. So what are the main players in the China sourcing market? I know there's agents, you can go direct, you can go through consultants, or can you kind of give us a breakdown? So, so there's, of course, direct finding a factory, but you know, you also got to worry if they're really a factory. A lot of times there's people that look like factories online, but they're, they're uh, maybe they make some products themselves, and sometimes they actually are a trading company for other products, because a lot of factories can't make everything. So if you send them a different product that they have, they'll find another friend's factory and send it to them. And so that's that's one situation, is where you're going direct, or at least thinking you're going direct. The, the other is a trading company. There's tons of these guys. Uh, they make, you know, they're actually sometimes home-based businesses, like with one or two people working out of an apartment. And they'll they'll be your, like, sourcing agent in China. And they'll uh, go visit the factories. And they'll take care of your purchase orders and consolidation. You could also work with a logistics company. Sometimes logistics companies also offer sourcing or consolidation. And then there is working with a Western managed sourcing company rather than maybe a Chinese-based sourcing company. Of course, you're going to pay more for the management because they're Western-owned, uh, but they usually do everything in-house. You can uh, usually feel a little bit more secure. And then there's ones based in China or in Asia, and there's still a lot that are based in the U.S. They also can add value-add services such as CAD design, consulting with your IP, your trademark, your patents. So there can be like a one-stop shop. What's the difference between a trading and a logistics company? Trading companies are there are they are a little bit they do add value but a lot of times they're smaller companies they don't actually take care of the the shipping they usually work with the logistics company a logistics company does usually the the bill of lading they do the BL is called or they do the air shipment or the ocean shipment they can help with the consolidation they don't usually get involved with the finding the product and ordering the product and the payment usually they just want to be involved with receiving the product to the port, taking care of the paperwork to clear customs and ship it by ocean or by air. And so the Western companies you talked about do the whole supply chain of this, kind of like a whole package, right? Yeah, usually they're not logistics companies, but they help they help you with that. And what are kind of the typical margins these Western companies charge, you know, versus if you went all out on your own? After doing it myself, you know, I think it's fair, but depends on your order volume. If you're ordering huge volume of, of product, they sometimes do a, a percent, maybe. Again, it really depends. If they're if you're doing millions, it's maybe a five or 10%. If you're doing like 
low volume, it might be like 20 or 30 percent. Can we go back to a little about IP? Uh, what are some ways you can protect your IP from being stolen while it, your product's being manufactured? There's two types of IP. There's the brand, the trademark, and then there's the, the patent itself of the uh, of the physical product, regardless of the logo on the product. So if we're talking about trademark, it's usually a little bit easier because it's, it's a brand. So you can file a trademark. Usually people only think to go to like the US with USPTO.gov or, or using a trademark lawyer in America, but there are ways to register in China directly. There's another way of doing like a global trademark that gives you like a win- one-year window to file in different countries. Maybe make it the most simple is I, I usually would recommend an American, a U.S. trademark and then try to do a Chinese trademark. And a lot of people always say, well, I don't need a Chinese trademark. I'm not selling in China. I'm only selling in the U.S. You might ask that later, but I'll, I'll just jump ahead. If you file a Chinese trademark, you can usually stop them from exporting it. So you can block the potential copycats from selling your brand in other countries around the world, not just in China. Of course, there's always exceptions or might slip through the cracks, but the Chinese customs are supposed to ensure that the products being exported are not trademarked in China, or if they are, they have to be authorized by the trademark holder. So you can't stop them from manufacturing, but it keeps them from getting out, essentially. Yeah, I mean, of of course, they can also not legally sell it in China either. If you have a trademark in China and they either try to export it or they sell it in China, you can stop them. So it protects you both ways and then they'll be stuck holding inventory. They're not going to be happy if they're sitting on stock. And is this actually enforced well? Because I assume as a foreigner, getting legal representation in China must just be, it must be difficult, right? I think anywhere in the world, as a small guy, as a small business, it's always hard to defend yourself in, in legal. Legal costs are always expensive to enforce actually anything. But of course, the US, if someone's infringing your your patent or your trademark, you could have a lawyer send a scary letter to the guy violating your trademark. In China, I think it's just because it's unknown to foreigners here. The other thing that's scary about trademarks in China is it's a first to file is one. And second is you cannot enforce your trademark until it's actually issued. Meaning in America, you could file a trademark and then it is pending. So you could still put TM on it, but you can't put put R on it. So you can actually still stop somebody and say I have a pending trademark so you can't sell it but in China you can't stop them until the trademark is actually issued which usually takes one to two years yeah I mean enforcing it is a little bit difficult China is getting better actually I was in a grocery store just like a couple of days ago and uh, I noticed significantly like things getting more organized and more laid out well like as the economy develops and matures things get more transparent laws get more understood you know I think it's also because the laws are just being kind of modified constantly and adapted. But once things get kind of set into place and things are more transparent, I'm a big fan of social media. And in China, you know, uh, social media is getting also pretty well uh, established and you can call people out. You can use that as well, as well as internet marketing. So how does internet marketing work in China right now? China has its own world with the whole, uh, they call the GFW or the Great Firewall of China, which is blocking of Facebook, blocking of Twitter, blocking of basically almost all Western social media, YouTube. What happens is, is you get your own complete internet inside of China. Basically, they, so they call it the C2C as a nickname, which is copy to China. So basically anything that's kind of somewhat famous or somewhat getting successful in, in the Western world is localized in China by a you know, a Chinese entrepreneur. So what what happens is there's a Chinese Google, which is Baidu. There's a Chinese Twitter, which is Weibo. There's actually four four Chinese Twitters that are semi-popular. There's, you know, the Yoku, which is the Chinese 
YouTube. But basically, for the most part, they basically operate the same. And you can use them this in the same fashion to promote your business or your product. And there's Renren too. It's like a copy of Facebook I've seen, right? Yeah, Renren. There's multiple copies of everyone. Like there's Renren and there's Kaishin. Those are two most popular Facebooks in China. Can you talk a little bit about manufacturing clusters in China and how they kind of work? Sure, sure. So the idea of like factory cities being like families in China and what happens is like a small family starts a business and they start making just say a notebook. But if you look at a notebook, there's lots of parts in the notebook. There's the spiral, there's the cover, there's the you know, the paper, there's all these other subcontracted parts. One factory, like I said earlier, doesn't make everything. So what happens is one family will make the spiral, one family will will make the, the paper, one family will make the cover. What happens is they all kind of pool their resources together and then there's a assembly guy. And usually the assembly is the is the actual like bigger company and they're usually the ones that do the sale. So, you know, you go to a city and then what happens is in Shenzhen where I am, there's lots of electronics being manufactured. Ningbo, there's lots of like home goods, like injection mold plastic, simple products. And then within Zhejiang province of Ningbo, where Ningbo city is, there's like Iwu market, which has like beads and all kinds of like fashion and ex- small little knickknack accessories. And Yongkong, where my bar supplies were made, what would happen was I'd go to a factory and then they would take me to another factory. They would say, oh, this is our other factory. But you, you don't really know if it's like their factory, if they're a trading company, if they're if it's their like family members factory, if it's their friends factory, but they'll make just the corkscrews or the other guy will make a bottle opener. The customer will say, I need this, I need a leather shoe and I need a plastic, you know, like a, you know, like plastic shoe. And then so the customer, they'll send it to the factory and the factory's like, they go to their friend and their friend says, Either they're already doing it or they say, hey, man, let's do business together. Make a factory. I don't have time or I don't know how to do this and make these products. And then that guy will make that product. <laughs> it sounds really crazy, but then that's how it that's how it was happening. So you actually got taken around to like 10 different factories for one product, right? I think it's common for people that come to China factories. You'll you'll get in a car and then you'll go to one factory and then you go out for lunch and you'll get some maybe some maybe some beers or at least you'll eat a lot of food you'll be really full and then you go another factory and see some production of another product then there's the consolidation which as i said earlier either a trading company helps you do or the logistics company helps you do and then they basically take all the different factory products and put them all together into a container uh, uh, either a partial container or a full container pallatum and uh, and ship them i pretty much guarantee most people are buying from multiple factories even if they think they're buying from one who are the people taking around to these factories are these salespeople or kind of depends on uh, your industry and it also depends on the size of you as a buyer the skill of the trading company is marketing normally because they don't have their own production and manufacturing they're not very good at making a product but they're good at selling a product and just like we say on like dc or on other websites is maybe focus on your core competence so what usually happens is the trading companies usually are good at sales and marketing and in a way they were basically the factories were outsourcing their sales and their marketing to a trading company they wouldn't bother making a website they wouldn't bother opening an alibaba account they wouldn't bother doing any marketing they would just let that margin go 
go to the trading companies and they would let trading companies be their sales agents. For me, probably, I was probably most of the time being taken around by a trading company or sometimes by a larger factory that would keep maybe some of their production there. Sometimes they're honest, sometimes they're not honest. Sometimes they're just maybe afraid to make you think you're going to pay too much. So they'll maybe make it seem like they're buying it. They're all their factories. And some of them actually change the signs of the logo on the front door. You know, think about it, man. To make everything in-house, you have to have a pretty big investment. So if I'm talking to a trading company, like how do I find the legit ones from the scammers? It might be a trial and error. Say you're entering, say, bar products. I can't go ask my competitor or my supplier, hey, I don't want to buy from you anymore. Can you tell me where you get it? Nobody's going to give you their source. Normally, you're on your own to source on online or or trading fair. Maybe you want to go to trade fair. I think the best way is to start small, just to try to limit your risks. You can also try to background check them. The world is getting smaller, like we said. Sometimes I've noticed some of my friends getting paid now to verify a factory or a trading company. So even if you're in the U.S., you could maybe find a QC company online and pay them maybe a couple hundred dollars to go to the factory and check them out for you. Also, Alibaba and Global Sources might not be the most ideal, but they have some kind of like verification system to show like how long this company's been, at least in business as far as they verified. But again, it's most likely just going to take some test orders. Everybody would say, it's not a waste of money to pay for service providers like tr- either QC companies or sourcing companies to go in and check out for you. I know guys in China from like Australia and from the US, they come here for like six months. They come here to source. So they stay in China and they uh, visit the factory. They, they work with the factory. They develop the product and then they go back. So what are some of the biggest problems sourcing in China? What are like the top three that you've encountered throughout your years there? Biggest problem, you know, is like we just said, maybe not taking an amount of time, rushing. I guess always is rushing thing. When they say like 20 days lead time, add, make it 30 days in your mind. The second is don't be cheap. I've seen guys like in the U.S., friends of mine, they would buy through me. And then I noticed they would try to maybe price check me and they would send it out to a few other factories from the Internet. And I would find out and the factory would find out. You're trying to build a relationship with your factory that you're buying from. It's just kind of like cheating on your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You know, China is pretty big when it's a specific type of product. So say you're just doing like cups. Like we just said earlier, there's clusters of factories and there's trading companies. So if, especially if you're not familiar doing business in China, you send this product out to get price checked, it might get back to the factory or the trading company that you're currently working with. So I've seen that happen. Of course, the buyer will probably won't find out, but you wouldn't trust this person so much, right? Everybody always blames the Chinese factory, but you got to understand that the Chinese factory is also investing time with you and your relationship. And when they see you kind of price checking around, and so that does two things. One, it kind of damages your relationship you currently have with your sort supplier. And two, it also creates risk that your product will get copied and your IP will get stolen because there's two things that happen here. So one is, okay, so say you got a cheaper price and you cut this guy out. This guy's still sitting on your product or he's still sitting on your mold or he's still sitting on your IP or one he might find out. Maybe he won't find out, but maybe he'll say he'll stop ordering from him. And then he's like, damn, man, where's this guy? He says, you know, a lot. I think everybody's strategy is the buyer's always like, oh, I'm going to buy a lot from you. Please help me. Please help me. I'll buy a lot from you. But then maybe they stop. So then a factory sitting there like I spent all this time. I paid this guy. I paid my workers. I paid. I spent my time making this product with this guy. And now he's just going to stop ordering. Maybe he went bankrupt. 
Maybe he stopped doing it or maybe he cut me out. So then they're going to probably list it on Alibaba. This is like a, a little bit of a long point. This is the maybe the number one problem I see. A lot of people focus too much on price. Focus on selling, selling and marketing your product. You know, your skill is usually a Western company is the sales and the marketing, not on the manufacturing. So hopefully you're comfortable with your supplier and focus on sales. That would be my, I guess, point three. And so what about the language barrier? Is it, has it gotten better over the years? Actually, a lot of them uh, in school, they, they learn English. And usually factories and trading companies are at least hiring English-speaking sales. Like we, we were talking about trading companies earlier. So what's happening with a trading company is they used to be like the English-speaking department for the factories. So the factories didn't, have, didn't speak English and they didn't invest in having English-speaking sales. So they would just focus on manufacturing and the production. There's a few things happening, like we said earlier, as the economics get tighter and there's less and less buyers and as inflation goes up, the factories are investing in English speaking sales departments and it's kind of cutting out the trading companies because they're having their own sales and marketing department and they're listing on Alibaba and they're making their own English websites. English is definitely getting better here. Way more Chinese speak English than English people speak Chinese for sure. Do you know anything about importing into China? Have you been exposed to that side of the business? I was just in the US and I met some people importing into China having problems. There's three ways to import. There's the legal way, the gray way, and the black way. I don't know how much your listeners are familiar with VAT, but VAT is also common in Europe. It's a value added tax. And in the US, they have sales tax. So you pay a flat like $6 rather than $6.33. What happens with VAT is when you import into China, right off the bat, the importer has to pay that sales tax. So right off the bat, that's there. That's a a flat rate. And then there's the additional percent import tax, just like the U.S. has for customs clearance for that specific product. And of course, it depends totally on which product it is. So that's like the uh, white hat, the legal way. Also, you have to make sure your product has a tariff code into China. So it has to be classified. If it's a new product that's not yet been into China, you have to pay some fees to create uh, a code. So that's some other things. The second gray way is to use like logistics companies license and to use them to do it. And you really will just play like a flat rate. And it's usually cheaper than the white hat way, the, the legal way, because they do a lot of importing in and they can kind of get it through their networks. And then there's the uh, bl black hat way or the you know illegal way. For anyone that's come into China through a border, you'll see people with tons of luggage and boxes. And if the borders are getting more and more tight, they'll X-ray you. But you know there's limits on how much you can carry across a border. But everybody was talking about iPhone 4 in China. I know guys that were making side businesses carrying iPhones from Hong Kong to Shenzhen. Of course, they're not going to tax you on your personal iPhone. You a lot of people would buy them in Hong Kong because like. We said earlier is a VAT tax. So the taxes in China make products higher than like Hong Kong or the US. So people will buy wine and cheese because I guess the highest taxes in China are on goods that aren't really daily necessities. And obviously wine and cheese are not products you need to live off of. So anything that's kind of like discretionary, they, they charge higher. And there's one story I was coming into Shenzhen from Hong Kong on the walking border and a woman got pulled over off, and I think they thought it was a bomb because she took her vest off and she had sandwich bags sealed of iPhone 4s out of the packaging. They look like a lead bomb, you know, like they were taped right up against each other in, in like a flat row and taped on her body, on her chest, in multiple rows from her top to her like stomach. She had like three rows, 12 or 15 iPhones all the way around the circumference of her 
chest and they're just like screaming in Chinese and she's like arguing them on something and I mean there's nothing she can say she's illegally smuggling probably like 40 iPhones into mainland China and she would probably make 150 bucks say there's 30 of them that's what they were doing for the longest because yeah like $4,000 something like that it's not bad (laughs) yeah Yeah, freaking China yeah it's crazy they always figure out something, right? Yeah. yeah, the things that happen there, right? It's crazy. Well, let's talk about your business. Uh, kind of, what does your business do, and uh, how does it help your clients? Sure. So, uh, you know, I've been I've been out in China for five years now, and I'm working with an association, Hiromi's Hero, and they're a Chinese e- e-commerce association. They're actually like thousand Chinese e-commerce executives, and they want to meet foreigners, Western e-commerce companies, and we're working on a large annual meeting in October. So that's one way, you know. I, I like to directly connect. I used to be in the middle originally when I first came to China by not revealing my factory or my source. But the way I've been helping Western people now is more like direct connecting for different fees. So actually just today I had my friend in DC, he sent a few crates of stuff to my office and he likes to work directly with the factory. With the internet and the, you know the world is flat, I don't try to be in the middle of the transactions. So I'm pretty flexible on how I work for e-commerce companies in the West. I can help them with consolidating samples and maybe visiting factories, logistics, importing. But I like to be transparent now, and I just do it as a service fee, depending on how much you're ordering. So you're mainly helping Western businesses source in China, right? Yeah, through directly connecting because I, I guess I have something called Guanxi, but I have so many friends in China now that I kind of like to just I connect them. And uh, I do mostly through my network. I have a second business now that I'm starting is is uh, Chinese social media. I, I really like think it's awesome for Western companies to promote in China. As we said earlier, as the Chinese are getting um, more and more discretionary income, they're more and more attractive to target as customers. So I've been working with some Western companies now in their uh, Chinese social media. So if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how can we get in contact? Sure. Even though I'm in China, I still use my uh, Twitter. It's my last name, Michelini, M-I-C-H-E-L. I and I and shadstone.com is my consulting company s-h-a-d-s-t-o-n-e so those are my two preferred ways of contact alright awesome Michael thanks so much it's been very helpful certainly learned a lot cool thanks Terry to get more information about running an online store visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com There, you'll find articles, case studies, and tools to help you run a successful online store. Remember to sign up for our mailing list to get news and updates delivered right to your inbox. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.